The Seventh Stage Now, in my dream, I watched Christian press forward on his journey, but not alone, for now he was joined by another pilgrim, by the name of Hopeful. He was so named after watching Christian and Faithful, and how they behaved, and what they said. Hopeful joined Christian, and the two of them entered into brotherly covenant, and agreed to be companions because of the testimony to the truth Hopeful had witnessed, especially during the suffering Christian and Faithful had endured at the fair. For Faithful had died to make a testimony to the truth, and another, by the name of Hopeful, arose from his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. This Hopeful also told Christian that there were many more of the men in the fair who would follow him after some time. Shortly after they departed from the fair, they caught up to a man walking ahead of them, whose name was Bayans. They asked him, Sir, what country are you from, and how far are you traveling in this direction? I'm from the town of Fair Speech, the man said. I'm going to the Celestial City. But he didn't mention his name. From Fair Speech, Christian said, is there any good that lives there? Scripture. When he speaks fair, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Proverbs 26, verse 25. Yes, Bayan said, I certainly hope so. Then, sir, what name may I call you? Bayan said, I'm a stranger to you, and you to me. If you are going my way, I shall be glad to have your company, and if not, I must be content. I've heard of this town of fair speech, and from what I remember, they say it's a wealthy place. Yes, I can assure you that it is, and I have very many rich relatives and friends there. May I be so bold as to ask who they are? To be honest, almost the whole town. Bayans shrugged. In particular, my lord Turnabout, my lord Time Server, my lord Fair Speech, from whose ancestors the town first took its name. Also, there is Mr. Smoothman, Mr. Facing Both Ways, Mr. Anything. The parson of our parish, Mr. Two-Tongues, was my mother's own brother. And to tell you the truth, I have become a gentleman of good quality. Though my grandfather's father was nothing but an oarsman for hire, he would look one way and row another. I gained most of my estate by the same occupation. Are you a married man? Bayans nodded. Yes, and my wife is a very virtuous woman. The daughter of a virtuous woman. She was my Lady Feigning's daughter. Therefore, she came of a very honorable family. As a result, she has a high level of breeding, and she carries herself impeccably to both prince and peasants. It is true our religion somewhat differs from those of the stricter sort, but only in two small points. First, we never strive against the wind and tide. Second, we are always very fervent in following religion who parades silver slippers. We love to walk with him in the street when the sun shines, and the people applaud him. Then Christian stepped a little to one side to speak with Hopeful. It comes to mind that this fellow is in fact Bayans of fair speech, and if it's true, we have quite a scoundrel in our company. 
the likes of which is often found in all these parts. Hopeful said, Ask him to be sure. I would think he shouldn't be ashamed of his name. So Christian sidled up to Bayans once again and said, Sir, you talk as one who knows more than all the world, and if my guess is right, I surmise your name to be Mr. Bayans of fair speech. Is it not so? This is not my true name, the man said, but it is a nickname given to me by some who could not put up with me. He let out a sigh. I must be content to tolerate it as a reproach, just as other good men have done before me. Christian didn't let the subject rest. But were you responsible for situations that caused men to call you by this name? Never, never! The worst that I ever did that might have caused them to give me this name was when luck was on my side. I made profitable judgments at the right time. But if I'm to be criticized for these times that are by chance, then I choose to count them as blessings rather than let the hatred of such men force me to bear a malicious load of hatred. Christian's eyes narrowed. I was sure you were the man I'd heard about, and to be honest, I fear this name more appropriately belongs to you than you might want us to think. Bayens dismissed the comment with a wave of his hand. Well, you can think whatever you like. I can't help what you think. However, you'll find me a fair-minded companion, if you will allow me to travel with you. If you want to go with us, it will require you to go against wind and tide which I understand goes against your convictions. You must also embrace religion in his rags, as well as when he wears his silver slippers. You must stand by him, too, when he is bound in shackles, as well as when he walks the streets with applause. Bayan's expression soured. You must not impose this on me, or coerce my faith. Respect my freedom, and allow me to go with you. No, Christian said. We'll not travel another step together, unless you agree with what I propose. Never, Bayan said. I shall never abandon my long-held principles, since they are harmless and profitable. If I'm not allowed to go with you, then I must do as I did before you caught up with me. I'll just travel by myself, until someone else overtakes me who will be glad to have my company. Now I saw in my dream that Christian and Hopeful moved ahead of Mr. Bayans, and they made sure to keep their distance. However, one of them looked back and saw three men following Mr. Bayans. These three caught up with him. He made them a very low bow, and they also gave him a friendly compliment. The men's names were Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Money Love, and Mr. Save All. Mr. Bayans had formerly been acquainted with all three of them, for in their younger years they were friends in school and had been taught by one Mr. Greipman, a schoolmaster in Lovegain, which is a market town in the county of Coveting in the north. This schoolmaster taught them the art of getting, either by violence, cheating, flattering, lying, or putting on a guise of religion. These four gentlemen had attained much of the art from their master, and each had become a master who could have run such a school themselves. Well, when they had greeted each other, Mr. Moneylove said to Mr. Byans, Who are they up there on the road ahead of us? For Christian and Hopeful were still within view. 
Bayan said, They are a couple of men from a distant country who, to their way of thinking, are going on pilgrimage. Mr. Moneylove looked slightly confused. That's unfortunate. Why didn't they stay so we might enjoy their good company? For I should hope we're all going on pilgrimage. I agree, Mr. Bayan said. But the men walking ahead of us are so rigid and they are in love with their own ideas. As a result, they don't really value the opinion of others. Even if a man is godly, if he doesn't jump in with them in all things, they quickly thrust him out of their company. Mr. Savall said, That is bad, but we read of some who are excessively righteous, and such men's rigidness obliges them to judge and condemn everyone except themselves. But tell me, what and how many were the things in which you differed? Why, they in their headstrong manner believed it is their duty to rush ahead on their journey, in all types of weather, while I am in favor of waiting for wind and tide. They are for risking all for God in an instant, and I am for taking advantage of all I can to secure my life and property. They hold on to their beliefs, even though all other men oppose them, but I am for religion that is tolerant of the times, and not a threat to my safety. They are for religion when he dresses in rags and is considered contemptible, but I am for him when he walks in his silver slippers, in the sunshine, and with applause. Mr. Hold the World held up his hand. Yes, but hold on a moment, my good Mr. Byans. For my part, I can only consider him a fool who has the freedom to keep what he has, but is so unwise as to lose it. Instead, let us be wise as serpents. It is best to make hay while the sun shines. You see how the bee lies dormant over the winter, and stirs again only when it is profitable and pleasurable to do so. Sometimes God sends rain, and sometimes sunshine. If some people are such fools as to go through the rain, let us be content to take fair weather as our portion. For my part, the religion I like best enjoys the security of God's good blessings poured out on us. When you think about it, it stands to reason that since God has given us the good things of this life, then He would want us to continue to enjoy them for His sake. Abraham and Solomon grew rich through religion, and Job says that a good man shall store up gold as dust. If this is so, he couldn't be much like the men before us, if they're anything like you've described them. I think we can all agree in this matter, Mr. Savall said. Therefore, there is no more need to talk about it. Mr. Moneylove nodded. You're right. Nothing more needs to be said about this matter. For he who doesn't believe the scripture or reason, both of which we have on our side, will not appreciate his own liberty or care for his safety. My brother, Mr. Bayan said, as you see, we are all going on pilgrimage, and so to better distract ourselves from things that are bad, let me ask you this question. Suppose a man is a minister of religion, or a tradesman, or of some other profession, learns about the prospect of a possible promotion. Let's say this promotion would offer him the good blessings of this life. Yet he can only gain this advantage by appearing extraordinarily zealous in certain points of religion, which he had previously neglected. Shouldn't he use this means to attain his end, 
and still remain a righteous and honest man. I understand the point of your question, Mr. Moneylove said. With the permission of these fine gentlemen, he made a wide-sweeping gesture to include all the men around him, I will endeavor to give you an answer. First, let's look at the example of the minister himself. Suppose a pastor, a reputable man in charge of a small congregation that provides meager financial support, has his eye trained on a bigger, more prestigious, and far more materially wealthy opportunity. Let's say he learns that he has a chance of getting this new position if he studies more, preaches more frequently and zealously, and because of the expectations of the people, he is required to adjust his stand regarding some of his principles. The way I see it is that there is no reason why a man should not pursue this course of action, provided he receives a call. Yes, and besides this, there are many more reasons he should seek this advancement in his career, provided he is an honest man. Here are some of the reasons. Number one, his desire for a more prosperous congregation is lawful. This is beyond contradiction, for it is providence that set this opportunity before him. So let him pursue it with all his might, without questioning his conscience. Number two. Besides, his desire after that larger congregation causes him to be more studious, a more earnest preacher, etc., with the result that he becomes a better man. Yes, he is able to improve himself, and this is certainly according to God's will. Number three. Now, as for his complying with the expectation of his people by deserting some of his principles in order to serve them, I argue this. First, that it reveals he has a self-denying temperament. Secondly, it shows he has a sweet and winning demeanor. And thirdly, it proves he is more qualified for the ministerial office. Number four. I conclude, then, that a pastor who exchanges a small congregation for a larger should not be judged for so doing as being covetous, but rather, since he is determined to improve himself and his trade in this way, should be considered in the same way as anyone who pursues his call and has an opportunity at hand to do good. And now, to address the second part of the question, which concerns the tradesman you mentioned. Suppose such a person in his business has poor profitability in the world and has to scrape just to get by. But by becoming religious, this same person may find more opportunities to make a better living and fix his financial problems, perhaps by taking for himself a rich wife or by drawing more and far better customers to his shop. Again, as far as I can see, there is no reason this course should not be pursued. And this is why. Number one, it is virtuous to become religious by whatever means a man may use. Number two, plus, it's not against the law to marry a rich wife and in this way increase the profitability of his business. Number three, besides, the man who reaps such benefits as these by becoming religious obtains that which is good by means that are good and as a result becomes good himself. As a result, he has a good wife, good customers, 
good profitability, and all these by becoming religious. In other words, to become religious to get all these things is a good and profitable pursuit. This answer, offered by Mr. Moneylove to Mr. Bayan's question, received loud applause by them all. Therefore, the entire group of four concluded that the entire answer was most sensible and worthwhile. And because they were convinced no man could contradict such an argument, and because Christian and Hopeful were still within calling distance, they wholeheartedly agreed to challenge them with a question as soon as they overtook them especially because of the opposition Mr. Byans had faced when he had talked with them earlier. So they called after them. Christian and Hopeful stopped and waited until the four men caught up to them. However, on their way, the challengers had decided that rather than have Mr. Byans present the question, it would be more profitable for Mr. Hold the World to offer it to the two pilgrims, for they supposed their answer to him would be less likely to rekindle the fiery feelings that had been expressed between Mr. Byans and them earlier, when they had parted ways. So they approached each other, and after a short round of greetings, Mr. Hold the World proposed the question to Christian and his companion. Then he asked them to answer if they could. Christian didn't hesitate to answer. He said, even a babe in religion could answer ten thousand questions such as this one. For if it is unlawful to follow Christ for loaves of bread, Scripture, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you have seen the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. John 6, verse 26. How much more detestable is it to make of a man and religion a fake cover and decoy used just to get and employ the things of this world. The only ones who hold such an opinion are the heathen, hypocrites, devils, and wizards. 1. The heathen. For when Hamor and Shechem had a covetous eye toward the daughter and cattle of Jacob, and saw that there was no way for them to get what they wanted unless they were circumcised, they said to their companions, If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, won't their cattle, material possessions, and every beast they own be ours? What they sought to obtain were the daughters and cattle of Jacob, and they used their religion as a fake cover to try to get them. Scripture Then Hamor and Shechem, his son, came unto the gate of their city, and communed with the men of their city, saying, These men are peaceable with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only with this condition will these men consent to dwell with us, that we may be one people. If every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised, shall not their livestock and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. And unto Hamor and unto Shechem his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city, and every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. Genesis 34, verses 20 through 24. Number 2. The hypocritical Pharisees were also of this religion, but their long, showy prayers were nothing but a sham they used for the purpose of getting widows' houses and their judgment of a greater damnation was from God. 
Scripture. Beware of the scribes who desire to walk in long robes, and love greetings in the markets, and the first seats in the synagogues, and the first places at suppers, who devour the houses of the widows, and for a pretext make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. Luke 20, verses 46 and 47. Number 3. Judas the devil was also of this religion, for he desired the money bag and its contents, but he was lost, cast away, and the very son of perdition. Scripture. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and would take from what was put therein. John 12, verse 6. Number 4. Simon the wizard was of this religion too, for he wanted to have the power of the Holy Ghost and hoped he might buy it with money. For this reason he received this sentence from Peter's mouth. Scripture saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps this thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Acts 8, verses 19 through 22. Number 5. Neither does it escape my attention that the man who takes up religion for the profit of the world will throw away that religion to please the world. For Judas became religious for worldly gain, and he sold out that religion and his master for just that. So to answer the question positively, as I perceive, what you have done is heathenish, hypocritical, and devilish, and your reward will be according to your works. The four men stood staring at one another, without knowing how to answer Christian. Hopeful also approved of the soundness of Christian's answer, and so a heavy silence hung between them. Mr. Byans and his company staggered in the face of such a response, and purposely lagged behind, wishing that Christian and Hopeful might easily get ahead of them. Christian turned to Hopeful and said, if these men cannot stand before the sentence of men, what will they do when they are confronted with the sentence of God? And if they don't know how to answer when dealt with by vessels of clay, what will they do when they are rebuked by the flames of a devouring fire? So Christian and Hopeful walked ahead of them again, and went on until they came to a subtle plain called Ease, which they journeyed across with much satisfaction. However, the plain was so narrow they quickly crossed it and reached the other side. Now at the farther side of that plain was a little hill called Lucre, and within that hill was a silver mine. Some pilgrims who had formerly gone that way had turned aside to see the mine because of its rarity. However, for some who ventured too near the brim of the pit, the deceitful ground beneath their feet broke under them. Some were slain, and some had been maimed there. Those who were injured were never free of the influence of the mind's wound until their dying day. Then I saw in my dream that a little off the road, right next to the silver mine, stood a man by the name of Demas. This gentleman called to passing pilgrims to come and see. In this manner he called to Christian and his companion, Hopeful. Hello, friends. Turn in here and I will show you something remarkable. 
Christian called back to him, What would be so deserving of our attention as to cause us to turn from the way to see it? Demas motioned toward the pit. Here is a silver mine. At this very moment, some are digging in it for treasure. If you come, with a little effort, you may be able to richly provide for yourselves. Hopeful looked at Christian with wide eyes. Let's go see. Christian shook his head. Not me, he said. I have heard of this place and about the many who have been slain here. Beside, that treasure is a snare to those who seek it, for it hinders them in their pilgrimage. Then Christian called to Demas and said, Is this not a dangerous place? Has it not hindered many in their pilgrimage? Scripture. But those that desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. Not very dangerous, Demas said, except to those who are careless. But his face blushed as he spoke the words. Then Christian addressed Hopeful confidently. Let's not take one step off the way to wander from this path, but instead let us stay true to our way. Hopeful looked over his shoulder behind them. I guarantee you when Byans comes to this place, if he's offered the same invitation, he will turn in here to get a closer look. I don't doubt it. Christian took in a deep breath and let out a sigh. There's no doubt of it, for his principles lead him that way, and I wager a hundred to one that he dies there. Demas persisted and called to the two pilgrims again. Won't you even come over just to look? Christian answered bluntly. Demas, you are an enemy to those who pursue the right ways of the Lord of this way. I know you already have been rebuked yourself for turning aside here by one of His Majesty's judges. Scripture For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 So why do you seek to bring us into the same condemnation? Besides, if we were to turn aside here, our Lord the King would certainly hear about it and reveal our shame. Our desire is to stand with boldness before Him. Demas cried out to them again, claiming he belonged to their brotherhood. Then he said, If you'll wait for just a short time, I'll join you on the pilgrimage. In response, Christian said, What is your name? Isn't it the same name by which I have already called you? Yes, my name is Demas. I am the son of Abraham. I know you, Christian answered. Gehazi was your great-grandfather, and Judas your father, and you have continued to walk in their ways. What you are suggesting is nothing more than one of your devilish pranks. Your father was hanged as a traitor, and you deserve no better reward. Scripture Then Judas, who had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the princes of the priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? Thou shalt see to it. And casting down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5. Be assured that when we have an audience with a king, we will tell him of your behavior. So Christian and Hopeful continued on their way, 
but by this time Baez and his companions had come within sight again. Christian and Hopeful watched as the trailing party arrived at the silver mine. As soon as Demas called to them, they left the way and went over to him. Now, whether they fell into the pit by looking over the brink, or they went down to dig, or whether they were smothered at the bottom by the poisonous fumes that often rise in those depths, I do not know. While I am not certain of the specifics, I did notice that they were never again seen in the way. Then sang Christian this song. By ends and silver, Demas both agree. One calls, the other runs, that he may be a sharer in his lucre. So these two take up in this world, and no further go. Now in my dream I saw that just on the other side of this plain, the pilgrims came to a place where an old monument stood right beside the highway. At the sight of it they were both concerned because of the strangeness of its shape, for it seemed to them as if it had been a woman transformed into the shape of a pillar. The two of them stood intently looking at it, but for a time they didn't know what to think of it. After some time, Hopeful spotted an inscription on the head of the monument, but it was written in an unusual style of writing. So, being no scholar, he called to Christian to see if he could understand the meaning. Christian examined it, and after a little studying of the letters, he found them to mean, Remember Lot's wife. So he read it to his traveling companion, and together they concluded that it was the pillar of salt into which Lot's wife had been turned, because she looked back when she was fleeing from Sodom for safety. Scripture then the wife of Lot looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Genesis 19, verse 26. This amazing sight stimulated the following discussion. Ah, my brother, this is a timely sight, Christian started, for it came to us at just the right time, as it follows the invitation which Demas offered us to come over to view the hill Lucre. Had we gone over as he desired, and as you were inclined to do, my brother, I suppose we might have been made a similar spectacle for all those who come after us to see. I'm sorry I was so foolish. He stared at the pillar. I wonder why I am not now petrified as Lot's wife, for in what way was there a difference between her sin and mine? She only looked back, while I had a desire to go see the mine. Let grace be adored here and let me be ashamed that such a thought ever entered my heart. Let's take notice of what we see here, and how we can profit from it in the future. He pointed toward the pillar which was once Lot's wife. This woman escaped one judgment, for she did not suffer the destruction of Sodom. Yet she was destroyed by another, as we see here. She was turned into a pillar of salt. Hopeful nodded. True and may she be both a warning and an example to us, a warning that we should shun her sin, and an example of what judgment will overtake anyone who does not heed the warning. In the same way, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, with the two hundred and fifty men who perished in their sin, were also an example to others to beware. Scripture. And it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground broke open under them. The earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. 
and their houses, and all the men of Korah and all their goods. Numbers 16, verses 31 and 32. But above all, I ponder one particular thing. How is it that Demas and his friends can stand so confidently over there looking for treasure, while this woman did nothing but look behind her? For we do not read that she stepped one foot out of the way, and yet she was turned into a pillar of salt. The judgment which overtook her remains as an example to all who see it to this day. And truly, all they have to do is lift up their eyes, and they can't help but see her. Christian looked thoughtful. It is an astonishing thing to contemplate, and it indicates that their hearts have grown desperate in this case. It is fitting to compare them with one who picks pockets in the presence of the judge or the thief who cuts purse strings under the shadow of the gallows. It is said of the men of Sodom that they were sinners exceedingly because they were sinners before the Lord, that is, in his sight, and yet he had shown them kindnesses, for the land of Sodom was like the Garden of Eden. Remember that Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Scripture This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Genesis 13, verses 10 through 13. Therefore this provoked him all the more to jealousy, and made their plague as hot as the fire of the Lord out of heaven could make it. It is reasonable to conclude that those who sin in the sight of God and in spite of such examples being set continually before them to warn them, still do the opposite. People such as these must be judged with the greatest severity. There's no doubt that what you've said is the truth, Hopeful said, but what a mercy is it that neither you, but especially I, he placed his hand on his chest, am not made such an example as this woman. This occasion gives us an opportunity to thank God, to fear before Him, and always to remember Lot's wife. I saw then that the two pilgrims went on their way to a pleasant river, which David the king called the River of God, but John the River of the Water of Life. Scripture And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Revelation 22, verse 1. Their way followed along the bank of this river. Christian and his companion, Hopeful, walked it with great delight. They also drank of the water of the river, which was pleasant and refreshing to their weary spirits. On the banks of this river, on both sides, stood green trees with all kinds of fruit, and they ate the leaves to prevent gluttony, and which offered other medical benefits. On either side of the river there was also a meadow, dotted with lilies and curiously beautiful. It was green all year long. In this meadow they lay down and slept, for in this place they could lie down safely. Scripture
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Psalm 23, verse 2. When they awoke, they gathered fruit from the trees and drank of the water of the river again and once again lay down to sleep. Thus they did this for several days and nights. Then they sang, Behold how these crystal streams do glide to comfort pilgrims by the highway side. The meadows green, besides their fragrant smell, yield dainties for them. And he that can tell what pleasant fruits, yes, what leaves these trees do yield, will soon sell all, that he may buy this field. So when they were willing to go on, for they weren't as yet at their journey's end, they ate and drank and departed. Now I beheld in my dream that they had not journeyed far, when the river divided and began to flow in two different directions. They were sorry to see it, for they dared not go out of the way. Now the way led away from the river, and was rough, and their feet grew tender because of their travels. So the souls of the pilgrims became more and more discouraged because of the ruggedness of the way. Scripture and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Numbers 21, verse 4. Still they went on and wished for a better way. A little ahead of them, to the left of the road, stretched a fenced meadow accessed by a stile. That meadow is called Bypath Meadow. Christian said to Hopeful, if this meadow lies alongside our way, let's cross over into it. So he walked over to the stile to investigate and saw that a pathway on the other side of the fence seemed to run parallel with the way. It's exactly what I wished for. Christian pointed to the path on the other side of the fence. Here the going is much easier. Come on, hopeful, let's cross over. But... Hopeful's mouth screwed to one side. What if this path should lead us out of the way? That's not likely, Christian said. Look, doesn't it run alongside our way, but just on the other side of the fence? So Christian's argument persuaded Hopeful, and he followed him over the stile. Once they had crossed over and were walking on the parallel path, they found it much easier on their feet. Besides that, they spotted a man walking the path ahead of them. His name was Vain Confidence. They called after him and asked him where that way led. He said, To the celestial gate. Christian smiled at Hopeful. See, didn't I tell you so? With this advice, you can be sure we're going the right direction. So they followed Vain Confidence, who went before them. But once night fell, it grew very dark. In fact, it was so dark they could no longer see the man walking before them. The man himself, vain confidence by name, could not see the way before him, and he fell into a deep pit. This pit was dug in that place purposefully by the prince of those grounds to catch vainglorious fools so that they would be dashed to pieces. And so it happened to vain confidence when he fell. Scripture he that trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whosoever walks in wisdom, he shall be saved. Proverbs 28, verse 26. 
Now Christian and Hopeful heard him fall, so they called out to him to figure out what had happened. But there was no answer, only a groaning. Hopeful said, Where are we now? Christian was silent, for he was wondering if he had led his friend out of the way. And now it had begun to rain with thunder and lightning, in a most dreadful manner. Water rose and began to flood the path. Hopeful groaned inwardly and said, Oh, if only I had stayed on the way. Who could have thought that this path would have led us out of the way? Christian asked. Hopeful said, From the beginning I was afraid that this would happen, and so I gave you that gentle warning. I would have spoken a little more directly, but you are older than me in the faith. Good brother, please don't be offended. I am sorry I have brought you out of the way and exposed you to such an impending danger. I plead with you, my brother. Forgive me. I did not act with evil intent. Be comforted, my brother, for I forgive you, Hopeful answered, and I also believe that this shall work out for our good. Christian said, I am glad I have a merciful brother traveling with me, but we must not stand here like this. We must try to go back to the right way. In that case, brother Christian, let me lead the way. No. Christian reached out in the dark and placed his hand on Hopeful's arm. If you please, let me go first. Then, if we happen to run into any danger, I will encounter it first, since I am the one responsible for leading us out of the way. No, said Hopeful, over the sound of rising water. You shall not go first, because your mind is troubled, and for this reason it may lead you further out of the way. Then, for encouragement, they heard the voice of one saying, Let your heart be set toward the highway, even the way that you formerly went. Turn and go back again. Scripture Establish signs, make thee high markers. Consider the highway with great care, even the way which thou didst come. Jeremiah 31, verse 21 But by this time the flood waters had risen much higher and made the way back very dangerous. Then I understood that it is easier to go out of the way when we are in it than it is to go in when we are out. Yet the two pilgrims made every effort to go back. It was so dark and the flood so high that in their attempt to go back they could easily have drowned nine or ten times. They could not, with all the skill they had, get back to the stile that night. Therefore they finally found refuge under a little shelter. They sat down there till the break of day, but being weary, they fell asleep. Not far from the place where they lay, there was a castle called Doubting Castle. The owner of it was Giant Despair, and it was on his grounds they now slept. And so, Early in the morning, when the giant got up and walked up and down in his fields, he caught Christian and Hopeful asleep on his property. With a grim, surly voice, the giant ordered them to wake up, and he asked, Where are you from, and what are you doing on my property? The two explained that they were pilgrims who had lost their way. The giant despair said, you have trespassed against me by trampling upon and lying on my grounds. Therefore, 
You must come along with me. So Christian and Hopeful were forced to go with the giant, because he was stronger than them. As they walked along, they had very little to say, for they recognized their current circumstances were their fault. The giant drove them ahead of himself, and eventually secured them in a very dark dungeon in his castle. The spirits of the two prisoners found the dungeon to be nasty and stinking, but here they lay from Wednesday morning until Saturday night, without receiving one bit of bread or drop to drink. They remained in the dark all that time, and no one even came to ask how they were. Therefore they found themselves in this evil place, far from friends and acquaintances. Scripture Thou hast put lover and friend far from me, and placed my acquaintances into darkness. Psalm 88, verse 18 Christian's sorrow multiplied in this place, because it was through his hasty advice that they were brought into this distressing state of affairs. Now Giant Despair had a wife, and her name was Diffidence. So when the giant went to bed that evening, he told his wife what he had done, explaining that he had taken a couple of prisoners and thrown them into his dungeon for trespassing on his grounds. Then he asked for advice. What do you think I should do with these prisoners tomorrow? Who are they? She asked. And where have they come from? He told her, and she advised him that when he arose in the morning, he should beat them without mercy. So when he arose in the morning, he grabbed his dreadful crab-tree club and went straight away down into the dungeon to the prisoners. He began to beat them as if they were misbehaving dogs, although they had shown him no disrespect. The giant continued to beat them so severely that they were no longer able to protect themselves or even to move upon the floor. Once he had finished, the giant walked out and left them there to commiserate over their misery and to mourn under their distress. So for the rest of that day, heavy sighs and bitter cries accompanied their time. The next night, Diffidence talked with her husband again about the prisoners. When she learned that they were still alive, she advised her husband to recommend to Christian and Hopeful that they commit suicide. In the morning, he went to the prisoners in the same gruff manner as before. When he saw they were in extreme pain because of the wounds he had inflicted the day before, he told them, Since you are never going to get out of this place, your best alternative is to make an end of yourselves. You can use a knife, noose, or poison. For why should you choose to live, seeing life is filled with so much bitterness? The prisoners asked that he let them go. With that, the giant scowled as if he were ready to rush upon them to finish them off right then and there. But he fell into one of his fits, for he sometimes experienced seizures on sunshiny days, during which he lost the use of his hands for a time. Therefore, he withdrew from the dungeon and left the prisoners to consider what they should do. Christian and Hopeful talked between themselves as to whether it would be best to take the giant's advice or not, and it led into an intense conversation. Brother, said Christian, what shall we do? 
The life we now live in this place is miserable. For my part, I don't know whether it is better to live like this or to die by your own hand. My soul chooses strangling rather than life, and the grave seems more desirable for me than this dungeon. Scripture. And my soul thought it better to be strangled and desired death more than my bones. Job 7, verse 15. Shall we accept the giant's advice? Hopeful let out a thoughtful sigh. It is true that our present condition is dreadful, and death would be far more welcome to me than to live in this continual misery. However, let us consider what the lord of the country to which we are going has said. He declares, you shall not commit murder. Not just to another man's person, but we are forbidden to take the giant's advice to kill ourselves as well. Also, let us consider again that giant despair does not have authority over the law of our Lord. As far as I can understand, others have been captured by him just as we have, and yet they have escaped out of his hands. Who knows if perhaps God who made the world might cause the giant despair to die, or that perhaps at some time or another in the future he may forget to lock us in, or that he may in the near future have another paralyzing fit while he is in here with us in the dungeon and then lose the use of his limbs. If that should ever come to pass again from my part, I am determined to bolster my courage and to muster all my effort to escape from his hand. I was a fool not to have tried to do it earlier. However, my brother, let us be patient and continue to endure. The opportunity may come that could provide us with a happy release, but it shall not be by our own murders. With these words, Hopeful calmed Christian's mind for the present, so that they continued to endure the darkness that day in their sad and doleful condition. Well, toward evening, the giant went down into the dungeon again to see if his prisoners had taken his advice. But when he walked into the dungeon, he found them alive, but just barely so, because they were in such need of bread and water. Plus, the brutal wounds they had received when he beat them left them unable to do much other than to breathe a little. But as I said, he found them alive, and it put him in a furious rage, and he threatened them because they had disobeyed his advice. It will be worse for you now than if you had never been born. At this, the two terrified pilgrims trembled, and I think Christian fell into a swoon. But when he revived a little, they renewed their discussion about the giant's advice and whether it might be best now to take it or not. 
Once again, Christian seemed in favor of doing it, but Hopeful made a second reply against it. My brother, he said, think about how valiant you have been on this journey until now. Apollyon could not crush you, nor could all that you heard, saw, or felt in the valley of the shadow of death. What hardship, terror, and amazement you have already gone through. Are you now nothing but a bundle of fears? You see that I am imprisoned in the dungeon with you, and I am a far weaker man by nature than you are. Also, this giant has wounded me as well as you, and has also withheld bread and water from my mouth. Together we mourn without the light. But still, let us exercise a little more patience. Remember how you played the man at Vanity Fair, and were neither afraid of the shackles nor the cage. You weren't even afraid of bloody death. Therefore, let us at least avoid the giant's advice and bear up with patience as well as we can. Night fell again, and the giant and his wife, Diffidence, were in bed. She asked him about the prisoners and if they had taken his advice and killed themselves. They are sturdy scoundrels, he replied. They choose to bear all hardships rather than to take their own lives. Take them into the castle yard tomorrow and show them the bones and skulls of those whom you have already dispatched, and promise them that before two weeks go by, you will tear them in pieces, as you have done to other pilgrims. When the morning arrived, the giant went to Christian and Hopeful again, and took them into the castle yard. He showed them all the bones and skulls, just as his wife had told him to do. These, he said, were pilgrims once, just as you are, and they trespassed on my grounds, just as you have done. When I saw fit, I tore them into pieces, and within ten days I will do the same to you. Now get back down to your cell again. With that, he beat them all the way back to the dungeon. They lay in the dank darkness all day on Saturday in a most miserable condition, just like before. That night, when Mrs. Diffidence and her husband the giant went to bed, they began to discuss their prisoners again. The old giant was amazed that he could not bring them to an end, either by his blows or his advice. With that, his wife replied, I fear they live in hopes that someone will come to deliver them, or that they have picklocks hidden on their person, which they hope to use to escape. I hadn't thought of that, the giant said. But... Since you have presented this possibility, my dear, I will search them in the morning. 
On Saturday, about midnight, Christian and Hopeful began to pray, and they continued in prayer until almost the break of day. A little before dawn, good Christian, as one half amazed, broke out into this passionate exclamation, What a fool I have been to lie in a stinking dungeon like this, when I could just as well walk free. I have a key in my pocket, next to my heart, called Promise, that will, I am sure, open any lock in Doubting Castle. That is good news, good brother. Pluck it from your pocket and try it. So Christian pulled the key from his chest pocket and fit it into the lock on the dungeon door. As he turned the key, the bolt released and the door flew open with ease. Christian and Hopeful both fled the dark cell. Then he went to the outward door that led into the castle yard. He tried his key and it opened that door also. From there he made haste to the outer iron gate for he knew he must open that gate to escape, but he struggled with that lock, for it was desperately hard. But finally, the key opened it. They thrust the gate open to make their escape, but as it opened, the gate made such a creaking noise that it awoke giant despair. He hastily left his bed and pursued his prisoners, but he felt paralysis overcoming his limbs for one of his fits came over him again and made it impossible for him to go after them. So Christian and Hopeful hurried on until they came to the king's highway. Once again they were safe, because they were out of the giant's jurisdiction. Now when they had crossed over the stile, they began to consider what they could do at that location to prevent pilgrims coming after them from being deceived and falling into the hands of giant despair. They agreed between themselves to erect a pillar with a clear message engraved on its side, saying, Over this dial is the way to Doubting Castle, which is kept by giant despair, who despises the king of the celestial country and seeks to destroy his holy pilgrims. As a result, many who have followed after them have read what was written and escape the danger. Once they finished this project, they sang the following song. Out of the way we went, and then we found what it meant to tread upon forbidden ground, and let those who come after have a care, lest heedlessness makes them as we to fare, lest they for trespassing his prisoners are, whose castles doubting, and whose name despair. <laughs> 